Hi listeners, Jason here. We are excited to finally announce registrations for the biggest psych health and safety community event ever. The inaugural The Psych Health and Safety Conference will be held at the Sofitel Wentworth, Sydney, June 19 to 20, 2024, and offer concurrent virtual attendance. It'll feature live podcast recordings with OG researchers, including Christina Maslak and Michael Leiter of Burnout fame, Psych Health and Safety USA podcast host, I, David Daniels, Australian super experts, including the likes of David Burrows, a special 10-year anniversary integrated approaches to workplace mental health panel with authors Tony LaMontagna, Angela Martin and Kat Page, hand-picked case studies from organisations doing it well, and a very special interview with plaintiff Zaggy Kozarov by Catherine Donlop on that High Court case which we previously covered on the podcast. This event will sell out. Get in quick to secure tickets at early bird prices for the two-day conference, pre-conference masterclasses and the VIP dinner. The first 200 in-person registrations also get a copy of her latest book, The Burnout Challenge, signed by Christina Maslach herself. Find out more and register at www.psychhealthandsafetyconference.com. Now, on to this episode. A person's psychological health and safety can be influenced by the indirect effects of the environment they're exposed to, as well as the psychological and physical challenges that impact them directly. We'll talk with an emergency management professional who uses her lived experience as a survivor to inspire those who aspire. Up next on this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. As workplace mental health has become a global priority, there's a greater focus on addressing psychosocial hazards. Each episode, we look at psychological safety from an occupational health and safety perspective. Let's talk psych health and safety. Welcome to this week's Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I. David Daniels, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Each week, we seek to increase awareness of the importance of psychological health and safety by learning from the lived experiences, research, and expertise of our guests, as well as advocating strategies to reduce harm and minimize vulnerability to psychosocial hazards in the American workplace. So breaking into a new profession is often challenging for those who lack the resources and the support networks. Uh, This is especially true in a profession like emergency management where the networks are limited in terms of access. However, uh, it does, uh, it's important when you have folks who aspire to get into emergency management or other things or aspiring professionals, uh, have the opportunity to connect with others uh, who can show them the way, who can share their experiences, who can, you know, talk about some of the pitfalls because every situation has them. And we're going to have one of those discussions today. So in this episode, we're going to chat a little bit about not only, you know, emergency management as a profession, but just the professional sphere in general and some of the challenges that uh, that we, some of us may have gone through, that others have gone through, but how we can not only learn from our experiences, but learn from the experiences of others. And uh, I've got someone today who is focused on that, uh, on, on that idea of 
inspiring those who aspire to get into, in this case, emergency management. So let's start with an introduction. I think this is done best this way. This is why I do it this way. Uh, let's start with an introduction of my guest by my guest with this question. Who is Brandy Hunter? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm very excited to be here. So great question. Uh, one that I, I'm not a fan of answering, but uh, I am <laughs> Brandy Hunter. I'm from Washington State. I'm also an emergency manager. I've been in emergency management for a little over three years. Um, I got my associate's degree in Pierce College in Washington State. Um, right around the time that I graduated, it was right when COVID kicked off. Um, during that time, um, I lost opportunities for internships, in-person internships. Businesses were shut down. Um, so I was there trying to figure out what to do with myself. I mean, in that time, I met other aspiring emergency managers that were on LinkedIn. We were kind of all in the same position. So I decided to create an online group on LinkedIn and called it Aspiring Emergency Managers Online, otherwise known as AEMO. I initially thought that 50 people were going to join it, but it turned around and it seemed like that was a niche that was needed within that field. And so a lot of other professional emergency managers joined um, the aspiring. And so we are now um, three years in and we have over 4,000 members um, that wow. are active in our group. And we have had great programs um, and great guests on our own um, platform to speak to other people who are aspiring, to motivate them, inspire them, to give them tips, um, uh, mentorships, et cetera. But the ultimate goal is to make sure that those who are trying to get to their foot into the door of EM are successful and can do so. So that, this has been a really great organization. Again, it's still growing. Um, we have a lot of other things that are down, coming down the pipeline. Um, a little also about me. Um, I was um, the deputy planning section chief and planning section chief during the COVID-19 response at Tacoma Pierce County Health Department. Um, and then I kind of took a step back because during COVID, it was kind of overwhelming. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. It was very stressful um, responding. So I decided to work with the city of Lakewood and just kind of do some work uh, internally with their city to help them respond to the, the COVID cases. Um, and then after that, I became a, well, I, I uh, got sick. I found out I had cancer. Um, in my foot and had to have it amputated last year. Um, and then during that time, I was really not sure if I was going to be returning back to emergency management because I just fell into a really deep, dark depression um, following that um, with lots of pain that I'm still experiencing to this day called phantom pain, um, okay. which is a nightmare in itself. And I would never wish that on my worst enemy. Um, but then I found out, you know, I still love emergency management. I still want to be a part of this field. I have this organization. I have people that I, I, I want to continue to encourage to become emergency managers because it's such an important field. So I went back and I became an emergency planner with a consulting firm. And then from there, that's where I am right now, even though, unfortunately, I'm no longer there. Sure, sure, sure. Wow. Wow. OK, so there's a lot there and we're going to talk about a lot of it. Uh, why don't we start, though, before we get into some detail with a, another question that I ask 
virtually, well, everyone who comes on and, and chats with me. So what does psychological health and safety mean to you? Psychological health and safety mean to me is, you know, it's important for a person to be, have mental health, like a, a, a you know, good thought process and, and, and depression and anxiety and all those stresses can really make their environment unsafe at work or maybe make them feel unsafe at work um, because of their depression and anxiety. Um, and that can really play on a person's ability to become successful. Um, it can put them in detrimental situations at work and cause them to harm themselves or cause them to harm other people. Um, so th that's how I view it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that um, we have a, a, a bit of a challenge here in the United States because we there are a lot of folks who don't see uh, psychological and emotional health as important at all. Uh, and I, I've come to the conclusion that all physical harm is preceded by psychosocial harm. It always is. I mean, and the, the example that I use is if, you know, the, the person is up on a roof and falls off a roof, the yell is the psychosocial harm before the physical harm. <laughs> you know, so, um, and most things that happen to us physically are preceded by some sort of dread or so something about our brain that just, you know, peaks uh, and lets us know that something bad's getting ready to happen. And we've been taught too often just ignore it, it'll go away or don't worry about it. And then when the physical issue pops up, then all of a sudden it's important. So um, let's let's chat a little bit. But so so on on the aspiring emergency managers online website, you describe yourself as a military spouse, emergency manager, mom, cancer survivor, and recently an amputee. So talk about what drew you into emergency management first. And we're going we're to get to some of those other descriptions. So what is it that first piqued your interest uh, on emergency management? Well, let me first off and say that it did not pique my interest. Um, okay. I initially heard about uh, emergency management, well, Homeland Security Emergency Management Program at Pierce years ago, way before I did even decided that I was going to get in it by my dad, who's no longer here with us. Um, he said, you should go into this program, this Homeland Security Emergency Management Program. It's going to be something. I have a feeling this is going to be something big. I don't know what. He's not an emergency manager himself. He, he was more into IT and software. That was his, his jam. Um, and so I, I remember going on the website and seeing it. And I was like, saw some people in some safety vests. At a desk, pointing, there was a, an EOC. At the time, I didn't know it was EOC, an emergency operations center, because there was, you know, big screens and things that were going on. I just was like, you know, I don't want to be a crossing guard. I don't want to. <laughs> is this construction? What is this? I don't know. I don't want to wear that vest. So, you know, I decided to just keep trying to figure out what my path was by taking other classes. But eventually, when I got to my 30s, that's when I was like, you know what, let me go ahead and try this program out and see what it's about. My first semester was really great. I had some really great professors that really gave me some insight onto what Homeland Security Emergency Management was about. And, and seeing how 9-11 and, and Department of Homeland Security played a part in that and the first responders and learning how chaotic that situation was and where ICS and NIMS came from. So... I, after I learned all those things, I said, I want to be a part of this. 
This is something I really, really enjoy now, even though I'm still learning about it. It just was something that I, I kind of fell into from that. But then I started to learn about underserved communities and how they're left out of the planning. And then, you know, me being a black woman, that really touched me. So I felt like I had to be really a part of that um, part of emergency management to make sure that those people were also included into the planning yes. process and could be resilient following a disaster. Wow. 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 So, so you, you, um, you get inspired or you kind of get directed by a parent. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's an inspiration or direction because when the parents say it, it, it has a certain weight to it, but <laughs> you, so you take some classes, you get into the field a little bit, you start to recognize that perhaps the system itself uh, isn't as broad and as expansive as it seems to be <laughs> and, and might be missing out on some people and some of the people that they're missing out on are kind of like you. Um, so how did... How does your experience now as an amputee inform your uh, your view of emergency management in general? Right. So, you know, now that I'm an emergency or now that I'm an amputee, when I go out in the world, I'm more cognitive of my surroundings. Sure. You know, like my, my especially my safety. If I'm somewhere, sure. can I get out of this place safe enough? Is there an mm. exit? You know, um, in an evacuation situation, you know, if mm. I don't have my, my leg on, how am I able to evacuate quick enough? Or if I'm sitting in my wheelchair, um, I have heard of shelters, you know, um, evacuation shelters that are not accessible. They don't right. have stairs. Right. They don't have an accessible bathroom. You right. know, that plays on a person's psyche. I know yes. that it plays on mine, you know, right. to be concerned about my own well-being, especially if I'm with my child right. who is five years old. How oh. can I protect her as well? So now the world has opened up and I'm viewing it in a different lens that I need to make sure that I'm able to get out and, you know, am safe when there is a disaster. And are those people going to help me first or are they going to look at me and think that, because she's in a wheelchair, we're going to have to carry her. We don't want that burden right now. Mm. You know, so those type of things. And that's a reality. You know, you have first responders out there that do have their biases. You have emergency managers that do have their biases. And whether it's because of a person that doesn't look like them, age, you know, gender, um, race, whatever, they might overlook me and that might put me in more harm's way. That's stressful in my mind. So I have to always plan way more ahead than other people do, you know? Right. So, right. Right. Yeah. I, there, uh, you know, another thing about those systems and as you're, as you're describing, I'm going like, well, yeah, yeah. Because if you think about most of the systems associated with safety in this country, in the United States anyway, most of them were designed for and by cisgender, middle-aged, uh, Judeo-Christian white men. I mean, generally, uh, able-bodied, they consider themselves at least able-bodied. Uh, and that's who designed the system. And I, whenever I start thinking about those kinds of systems and I point that out, 
I think for some people that comes across as a criticism, and it's not. I'm not saying that they're bad people. I'm saying that if you're able-bodied, quote, and don't think about the person who does not have the same, you know, access that you do, that might be in a wheelchair, that might be on crutches, that might be on, you don't think about that in designing your emergency or your safety system. You just don't think on the best of days. We tend to think about the things that are safe for us. We do. Uh, I, I, I want to believe that I am just a 100% supporter of the causes of women. I, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I have sisters. I have daughters. I have granddaughters. I have a wife. I, the whole thing. But I'm not a woman. So there's some things that I would not think about when we're having a conversation that if I want women involved and to be feel safe in that environment, I have to hear their voice, not try to figure it out myself. And and to your point, you know, you now have a, a viewpoint on emergency management that many emergency managers do not have because they haven't had the lived experience. They, they really don't. And when they're thinking about their uh, escape plans and when they're thinking about their, you know, their drills and they're thinking about all these things, how do you... Th- how do you, how do you plan for everybody and make sure it's safe for everybody? It's just right. a, and I true. and I try not to fault people for that too. Yeah, right, absolutely. Humans, you know, I mean, there's people who do it intentionally, and there's people who do it un- unintentionally. And you know, because I there I, there was a time when I was an ableist. I'm still trying to undo my un, my ableist mindset of how I view people who are disabled and, and, and other people who maybe are not disabled. They're just not who I am. Right. You know, undoing that, is, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, happen. we can have these type of conversations and we can talk about it. It's going to take a long time. I mean, emergency management is really working on it. I'll give them that much credit. Right. But it still has a, a lot more room for improvement. And you're undoing years and years and years of people who we're sitting in these positions that are able-bodied to get them to understand that these other people deserve the equal treatment as people who look like you. That, you can't that, leave them that, out. You're that, that's doing right. to the community, and we're in a, a whole community-based field. And you're it's not whole. It's half. Hi, listeners. Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia, and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all Flourish DX Academy courses included within the Flourish DX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with Flourish DX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. Yeah, and particularly, you know, we think about just emergencies in general. While humans may have biases, disasters don't. <laughs> they, they don't. They're, they're not going to roll, you know, so a, 
an earthquake's not going to stop at the border of whatever uh, and not happen over there because people are rich or poor. It, it now the impact is going to be different, but the disaster itself, particularly if it's you know caused by nature, it doesn't matter. I mean, and so that means everybody's going to need the escape route. Everyone is going to need the PPE. Everyone is going to need the fire extinguisher. Everyone's going to, everyone's going to need the plan. And if the plan is not built for people, they won't be able to access it. So it's just such an important. So, so talk a little bit about how, uh, so we're in this, we're in this phase stage for some people anyway, where there's a lot of conversation about, diversity, equity, inclusion, all that type of stuff. In general, when that comes up, people's minds immediately flip to gender and race. Those tend to come up first. But in, in, in your case, again, now, now you also have this other perspective to consider when these DEI types of conversations come up. So talk a little bit about, so is there a connection between diversity, equity, inclusion, emergency management, or are they... Should they be connected or what's your, what's your thoughts? Should. They absolutely okay. should be connected. You know, again, it goes back to leaving people out that are from diverse situations, diverse population, you know, out of the plane. So DEI should go hand in hand with one another. Um, you can't you can't do that. It's just not. It should it should be illegal <laughs> to some extent to to leave people out, whether intentionally or unintentionally. I mean, there are lawsuits that do occur, um, you know, because of that type of situation. But yes, absolutely, those two go hand in hand. Right, right. So, so, so you you personally you so she's, and I was kind of blown away when you said that you know you started this little small group and now there's four thousand people. Uh, <laughs> So um, what strategies have you used to, uh, to stay focused and stay optimistic despite the challenges that life has brought over the last few years? I don't, you know what? I ask myself that a lot. What keeps me going? What, what is this, you know, that you just can't stop? Like you can't stop this train. You can't get off. I've tried. <laughs> I have tried to get off, you know, right. and I have to give myself a break, but I just love where it's going. I love the direction. I love that the positivity, the initiative to help others. And, you know, this is way bigger than me. This is I, one thing about me in AMO, I try not to be the forefront of it. I try to push other people in front, especially those who are aspiring or those people who are supporting those who want to aspire to become emergency managers. I put them in the forefront. I just want to stay in the back and watch people become successful and develop those relationships that are needed and hopefully will one day improve emergency management so that it can be diverse. Um, but that's what keeps me going, I guess you could say. Um, I, I'm not one to, I mean, I'll quit, but I'm not one to, to fail. Mm. You know, I, gotta, I have to keep going. I have to see this through until whenever that is, whatever that is. I don't know. My last day, maybe, who knows what might happen with AEMO, but I, I kind of want to be here for it. Right, right, right. You just said something I can't say I've thought of before. Uh, you said, uh, I might quit, but I'm not going to fail. What do you see as the difference between the two? 
I mean, you know, you can quit something, but you can get right back up. You know, failure to me is you just don't do it again. You just, you're, it's a permanent quit. I mean, sometimes you have to permanently quit things, but like failing meaning like, ah, I, I, I just don't want to try it. I don't want to do it. You can, you're capable of doing it, you know, despite all the challenges. Right. You're capable of doing it. Just like how, for example, I, if, if I had never gotten back into emergency management, I think I would have failed myself. And, and I didn't want to do that for me because I had came so far. Right. Even though it was only two years at that time, I had came so far in my, my life to finally find something that made sense for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And if I was to just push AMO away with all those people that, that look towards it as a resource, I'd be failing them. And then I'd be failing my family. And then I'd be failing myself. Right. And that's not something right. that I'm willing to do. Right, right. Yeah, that that's that's important. I think sometimes people mis, mistake the two. And that's why I really I picked up you saying that. I think people, there are those who will say, if you stop doing a particular thing, that means that it's failed. It may be necessary to stop doing that so you won't fail because there are, I mean, there are a lot of uh, unfortunately toxic situations and toxic employers and toxic organizations and, 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 and the toxicity may only be for me. You know, it may be that way for me because again, back to my point, the point I was making earlier. And the reason that it is, it was never designed to be comfortable for me anyway. It wasn't. And when I brought myself, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, kind of on this kick here recently. I, I, I'm starting to challenge just a little bit this idea that psychological safety means bring your whole self. I'm starting to challenge that idea a little bit because I'm not sure if every environment is ready for all of me. It, it really isn't. I mean, so why would I do that? <laughs> it, yeah. it really isn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, because, and, and frankly, even from my own perspective, I mean, I'm not sure if I want to take all of me everywhere. There's some things that, you know, my wife knows about me. Nobody, I'm not going to take that anyplace else because that's not for them to know. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with them knowing that. I don't want to talk about that there. Um, but the question is, can I bring the part of the parts of myself that will help me be successful doing this, whatever this is? Whatever it is that you know, you and I have decided we want to do together in this organization and this group, and I think that part's important. And, and, and you know, again, the, there may be some areas where we disagree, see things different. That's okay. That that's not germane to what we're talking about. So um, I, I just find this really, really interesting how you've kind of latched on to the idea of you know helping aspiring people, and and, and I'll. I'll just I'll just put this out there, and you're not a hundred years old yourself, <laughs> because, because I, I, I it's 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 not polite to ask people's age and even go into those kinds of questions. But you don't come across as someone, and you said you've only been in a few years. I think there is this belief out there that you've got to be 80, 90 years old before you can give back to something that you've just started. It doesn't take long. You seem to have picked up on it almost immediately. I want to do this. I get it. I enjoy it. And some of the things that some of the challenges, they don't have to be here. So why don't we just change them? See what I mean? That's a, that's the other 
inspiring thing about the aspiring organization that you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to, to settle. I'm not one to settle. You know, if, if I'm uncomfortable with something, I'll quit. But I'm not going to give up. Right. Right. You know? But I'm also going to build a door. I'm going to find a way around, you know, to at least better myself or other people who might face that same situation, you know? Right. Right. Into my experiences. Right. This is what I've gone through. This is how you can, these are my best practices to navigate through those situations if you have to. Or if yes. you have to quit yourself and find another way around. I always try to encourage people if you're not able to get in the door, build the door yourself. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Who says that? That's the only door you have to go through. Tear down a wall, put a, put a door in. Build your own table, put add seats, bring those people to the table, you know, create your own space. There's nothing in this world that says that you are not allowed to create your own space. Right. Right. So, so let's, let's, uh, let's go into the dream machine here. We're going to go just, just, just for a second. So let's say you were the director of an emergency management organization, any place in this country, doesn't matter where. And you wanted to build a system that was uh, accessible for folks who are aspiring, folks who are different. What would that look like? If, I mean, just let's talk about that for a minute. What, what that, we're dreaming here, you know, so, and we're dreaming. Money's not an object and everybody agrees. What, what would you do? Of course, it'd be like trainings, you know, tools that would be, you know, everyone would have access to. That would they would have all the accessibilities that even a person who was disabled could use. Um, there'd be there'd be time there'd be a, an ability to for people to provide feedback with no kind of um, biases. I mean that's kind of hard, you know. Um, it, of course, that would be the perfect world, you know. Um, come and go as you are. Everyone is a leader. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, I, I heard once that all things are created twice. And the first place they're created is kind of in your head. And is, and again, is I think sometimes what makes it so hard is that we never sit down and think, so what would it actually be like if it was open and if it was accessible and if it was supportive and if it wasn't so difficult for aspiring people, because what, what would that look like? Because it, it, as we start to figure that out, then we can start to build that. Then we can start having conversations with people um, who who have those interests. So you say 4,000 people, um, any interesting, without naming names, of course, any interesting stories from folks who have been a part of the organization that you've worked with so far that things that pop to mind? Just a, just a, just a bit, basically kind of a support group for, for folks who, who are interested. It is a support okay. group. It is a support group. Um, you know, we've had some really great programs in the past where we've had um, folks like Peter Gaynor, um, Craig. Kubis, really? And some other really, yeah, um, big people in um, emergency management come and 
talk to other people who are trying to get into the field. Um, we've had um, informational videos where people can listen to other emergency managers talk about how they can get into okay. the field. So those are the highlights for me. And then, you know, what I would like to bring back is where we can highlight um, aspiring emergency managers and put them out there in the forefront and, and give them awards for, for their efforts for trying to become emergency sure. managers. Sure. But nothing really big outside of that stands out because it's all been one big giant party <laughs> for me. You know what I'm saying? Like it's been one great, great ride. So I mean, there's not one thing that says, "Oh, wow, that really stood out to me." I, you know, it's all, it's all sure. standing out. It's all outstanding. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, those are some. Uh, that that was some name dropping there. Those are some big names in the uh, in the industry itself, and uh, quite a credit to you. To you know, for coming up with the idea and uh, being able to to work with folks like that, uh, kind of in the industry. So, um, so any so what's what's uh, what's next for both you and for the organization? I mean, just kind of you know things that we I'm kind of thinking about doing in the next few months and years. What what's out there for you? Yeah, right now we're we're in the works of partnering with a tribal. Um, EM organization. Um, we're looking forward to starting a mentorship program, um, maybe a sponsorship program, a job board, um, going to more conferences that are coming up here. We're going to be doing a podcast. Um, we have a podcast coming up here with Vincent B. Davis, who is also an emergency manager, um, and he's with Feeding America. So I'm really looking forward to that because it's going to be a different platform where it's going to be two black emergency managers of different ages with different perspectives talking about the ins and outs of EM. Wow. That sounds uh, like that might be interesting. That might, 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 might and, and you, and you mentioned there's uh, a, <laughs> just another, you know, I'm not sure why I'm surprised by it, but uh, you, you're uh, uh, having some conversation with uh, some of the tribal nations re regarding emergency management and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another group that I assume gets kind of left out every now and then. Or, or Oh, absolutely. And I'm honored to be partnering with them, um, just hearing all of the, the things that they've gone through um, on, in Indian Nation and stuff and, and how they're left out of the EM planning and stuff. And so that they're going to be trying to do their own emergency management on their own sure. terms, you know, and it's so hearing about it, but also being a part of that is again, right. such an absolutely. Honor. Absolutely. So uh, we, we, we've talked about a, a few items, uh, you know, so have we, have we missed out on anything you want to share with the folks who are listening? No, I don't, I don't think I have anything else I would really like to share. I mean, I'm, I'm really humbled to be a part of this podcast. And you know, people can always feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn if they have any questions or uh, about this conversation or about AEMO. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's wonderful. Um, we'll, um, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing, you know, what, what you do in the future and, and what the organization does. I, I, as I said, it's the only way in my mind, that we're going to end up with psychologically healthy and safe places for people is we're going to have to build them, really. I, I, I don't think that a lot of the systems 
a lot of the organizations, a lot of the endeavors we're involved in right now are necessarily going to work because they were never, they weren't designed to do that. They, they just weren't. And trying to do the remodel job and, you know, let's, let's take Brandy and shove her into this system that really wasn't built for her and see, try to make it work. They don't, they don't seem to be doing all that well. They, they don't, they don't. You know, they, they need to have conversations with people, whether they have cognitive disabilities, you know, or physical disabilities, you really need to, to, to hear people out and what they're going through and not just say, ah, oh, this is all in your head. This is, this isn't really what's going on and not make them feel like that. Make them feel heard, show them that they've been heard, respect them and their perspectives. Um, it's because it's, that can be very psycholo psychologically damaging to a person who's already experiencing um, something that could be a hardship in their own life. You know, treat people like how you would want to be treated and, and don't, you know, assume that just by their looks that everything is okay. You know, take that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, as I said, it, it's, you know, those conversations are so important. And again, I think they're going to have to be uh, intentional. I, I, I don't I don't think a lot of our current systems are set up to do that. It's set up to recognize that. And it's, and it's going to be really important to have folks uh, such as yourself who have not only an interest in the industry and some background in the industry, but have a lived experience that is different. And that is, you know, it, it is inspiring in and of itself and looks to inspire others. So again, thanks. Thanks very much for taking some time to hang out with me. Uh, this is, this is very, very, very cool. So uh, if you're watching this episode on the Flourish DX YouTube page, please do like, subscribe, share. Love to have you pass it, get the algorithms going, you know. <laughs> if you're watching or listening to the podcast for the first time, welcome. Uh, I hope that something that you've heard or something that you've seen, if you're watching video, will bring you back in the future. Previous episodes of this podcast can be found at psychhealthandsafetyusa.com. Uh, that's all the way back to our first episode and and uh, and all the way up to this one. And, and please do become a part of the Psych Health and Safety USA movement by connecting to us on LinkedIn. So, that's it. That's all we have to share with you. Uh, and actually, it's interesting that this is uh, the this will be the last episode for this calendar year. Uh, we'll be uh, looking forward to some really great conversations in 2024. So thanks very much. And thanks, Brandy, for joining us today. Uh, thanks for those of you who have listened. And we'll look forward to our next conversation on the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Thanks very much. Tune in each Friday for new episodes of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. If you have a story or know of one that needs to be told, reach out to us on LinkedIn or send an email to david at id2-solutions.com or go to the Flourish DX website at flourishdx.com. We'll see you next time.